0: You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. This is uh, Chapter 7 of the Tomer Devorah Um Uh, We're uh, moving along here, um, just just to catch people up, uh, or uh, or if you're new to the the class, the Tomer Devora is uh, a book written by the Kabbalistic master uh, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero uh, in in the uh, 16th century in which he outlines the, uh, the mystical system of wrote uh, of divine attributes, and suggests ways in which human beings can emulate those different aspects of God in their behavior. And so each chapter outlines one uh, more of those attributes of God uh, and, uh, and then lays out how it, how it plays out in the human realm. Okay, so the last chapter we were looking at uh, Midat Gvura, which is God's power, God's uh, judgment. Um, it was a it was a difficult uh, chapter, not only because uh, Gvura is um, one of the um, harshest Svirot in the Kabbalistic system, one of the uh, uh, Svirot that Kabbalists like to talk about the least, uh, because it uh, it it. Uh, challenges uh, the the, uh, the notions of God that that many of us would like to have, myself included, of a of a God who is who is uh, kind and compassionate uh, and uh, and and loving. Um, of which there are many svirot that outline God in those in that way. But gvura, um is uh, is God's uncomfortable side, uh, you know, God's tough love side, I guess, if you will. Right. Um, so and and the um, explication of that in chapter six was was very difficult. Um, If not for any other reason than because it really kind of laid bare the uh, medieval attitudes of Moshe Cordovero um, uh, really uh, for the world to see, uh, specifically in regard to to his outlook on women. Um, So it was a tough chapter, but I I actually uh, uh, think that uh, chapter 7 is a breath of fresh air in that regard, because it has, uh, I think, a lot of really powerful and deep and beautiful teachings. Um, It feels to me, as as someone who who spends most of my day studying or teaching Torah, um, especially relevant. Um, But for those of us uh, friends sitting around the table and learning together, uh, people who are serious and engaged in their study of Torah, uh, this is, I think, a really uh, important uh, chapter to consider. Okay, so um, the Svira that it's going to be talking about is the Sfirah of Tiferet. If you remember back to the chart of the Sfirot, um, the middle Sfirot, on the right side is Chesed, on the left side is Gvura. Those are supposed to be, in some ways, those warring factions of God's, uh, of God's being. They are two sort of opposite entities, and they're on the opposite poles. And uh, Tiferet, which means beauty, is in the center of uh, of the. It's it's really kind of the depending on um, how you look at the chart, the, the heart of the divine person, um, or the the stomach of the divine person, the center of gravity, if you will, of of, uh, of the Godhead. Uh, that uh, that it's that uh, there's a, an element of stability and balance. In beauty, it's meant to be the balance between kindness and justice. Um, and it's uh, meant to be the, the balance between the lower spherot uh, that are closer to earth and the higher spherot that are more ethereal. Um, so t- tiferet is uh, is, is, uh, is that balance, is that middle sphera. Um, and it also has this connotation, which we'll see in chapter 7 here, this connotation of truth. The idea of uh, of truth being um, being a balance, being a middle path, is uh, very deeply embedded in the Jewish tradition. So much so that um, even the word truth, right? Um, if you think about the word, the, it's spelled aleph mem Taf, right? So the first the first letter and the last letter of the word. Right? The first letter of the word is the first letter of the alphabet. The last letter of the word is the last letter of the alphabet. And the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Um, and, uh, and, and that, I think, is you know, sort of a, a uh, symbolic description of, of uh, how the Jewish tradition views truth. Maimonides talks about this a lot, that, uh, that the way a person should be in the world is, in, uh, is the midah ben conduct himself with, the, with um, what Aristotle called the golden mean, right? the middle path, the middle virtue, because the truth is, always, is usually somewhere in the middle of, of polar extremes. Yeah.
1: Or some say that the word emet truth. Aleph is the first letter, and tough is the last letter, and mem is the middle letter. So truth is truth unto its innermost parts. Mm. Begins true, it is true, and it will be true. Mm. All the way. That's it. You can't fake it. Either it's true, no, I think we're kind of... I think the American style is like is to fudge it. We like fudge a lot of things. Kind of, we have words for fudging it. Um... Dissembling—it's a great word, you know. He, he wouldn't call somebody a liar, God forbid. But a dissembler—a little bit, but everybody dissembles, you know, and fudging and everything else, but not Emmet Emmet is pure all the way. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Good. Um, all right, so let's look at the uh, chapter as it begins. Okay, so uh, again, one hundred and five in the English, um, one forty-four in the Hebrew so how should a person accustom himself to to act according to this virtue of tiferet, of beauty in so there's no doubt that the virtue the uh, of tiferet, of beauty is engagement with uh, with the study of Torah Okay? And that goes back to this idea that that uh, that Tiferet is is beauty, is truth, is balance, is harmony. The idea of Torah is that it it's, it should lead a person to to uh, to balance. It should lead a person to a proper balance between uh, between this world and the next world, uh, their angelic self and their animal self. Right? Uh, that uh, that that the Torah uh, Tzadunay uh, Right? The the Torah of God is is pure. Is uh, is is uh, is is perfect, right? So there's an element in Tiferet of, uh, of, of perfection, right? That uh, beauty is perfection in some way, right? So Tiferet is symbolic of of Torah and Torah study. Omnam zehirut gedolah adam bedivrei Torah. Right. Therefore, a person needs great caution that he doesn't exalt himself, or she doesn't exalt herself in words of Torah. Shiloy Gromra Agdullah because this would lead to uh, to a great evil. Shahari Kumo Shahu Mitkae Kah Gorem Shimidat Hatiferat Shahitoa Titka Evit Stalek Lamala. Khas Vashalam. Because when a person exalts themselves in their own study, when a person uses their study as a means to celebrate themselves or elevate themselves, to say, you know, how, look how smart I am by what I'm able to teach. When their when teaching is a, is a, man, a means of, of, um, of catapulting themselves and exalting themselves, what he's suggesting here is that it causes Torah or Tiferet, this virtue, right? in the same way that he's elevating himself, it causes the virtue to elevate and to become removed from reality. Right? So the hope is that by studying Torah, you actually bring God closer. You bring this, God's virtue of balance and beauty closer to, uh, to human life, closer to the world. And when you exalt yourself, when a person exalts themselves in the study of Torah, it causes that value to elevate, right, with them. It puffs it up. It lifts it out. Right? Chas v'shalom, he says. Right? That would be a terrible, I love that. It would be a terrible tragedy if that were to happen. Ela kol ha-mashpil atzmo Torah, gorem el hatziferet at ha-mashpil atzmo machut And the opposite is true. According to Cordovero, anybody who denigrates themselves—maybe that's not the best word—anybody who lowers themselves, who humbles themselves, in words of Torah, causes tiferet to come downward and to uh, pour out um, onto the lower surot, onto the the el- a- attributes of God that are closer to Earth. Right. In other words, that by studying Torah with humility, right, with with a um, with, with an attitude of not trying to exalt oneself, it causes Torah, it causes divinity to become closer to humanity. It causes um, godliness to be closer to the world. It brings it down. By bringing ourselves down, it brings it down. This is something, um, uh, you mentioned this, I think, in the staff meeting yesterday, the, um, the David Brooks column about uh, Jeremy Lin. Um, and in this column, I, I personally I, I think that there are some things that
1: studied on Thursday at two uh, o'clock.
0: So I won't give away too much. But if you haven't read David Brooks's column in the New York Times from last week about Jeremy Lin, you'll learn two things. The first is that David B- Brooks is a huge wet blanket. Um, everyone's really excited about Jeremy Lin, and he's just like, yeah, well, not so fast. Don't be excited, because religion and, uh, and, uh, and sports are antithetical. Um, so that's one thing you learn from that column, is that David Brooks is a huge wet blanket. The second thing that you, uh, learn is, uh, <laughs> um, the second thing that you learn is, um, uh, and I think that there is an element to which uh, uh, Brooks has a point that the religious attitude um, is meant to cultivate um, humility in a person, um, and sports is meant to um, is, is meant to celebrate um, the exaltation of the individual, the triumph of the individual. Um, and so I think that that's what he's saying here. He's saying that, that Torah is is not meant to uh, uh, you know. Exalt the people who are the the most clever in its interpretation and its teaching, right? It's meant to be in service of bringing divinity into the world. So by exalting oneself in its study, right, it diminishes the capacity that that uh, that godliness can can uh, can can remain in the world by by virtue of it. Yeah.
1: What about the role of ego? I mean, taking expanding Torah, it's, you know, everybody ego. I mean. I'm certain whatever we do professionally or did professionally, uh, I hope we were proud of it, and we would tell somebody else, like our, our spouse, love, and say, boy, I did a great deal today, I sold something great, did something good for the shul, or I taught a good class last night, and is that, maybe Moshe Kortevera didn't tell his wife, didn't tell Mrs. Cortevere, but uh, but, or maybe, maybe he did, I don't know, but... Um,
0: if you, if you read one, the last chapter, chances are he didn't really talk to her much, or or, or maybe she didn't talk to him <laughs> much. Yes, yeah. yes, I can blame him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but how does one balance and? I would say that I was going to kind of excuse ego as being like a, a contemporary phenomena, but it's not. It's not. Um, you see, you see it in Torah, you see, it, you know, you know, uh, with, with all kinds of biblical figures as well. So, so it's, it's eternal. You know, doesn't somebody have a have a right to be proud of what they did? Not, we can fudge it and say, or you know, well, it can't be only for the ego. But if it's the if it's the results, the impact is different than the ego. But it's but you can be very ego filled over the impact of what you mean. There are ways of playing with that. So how does one? How does <laughs> we'll, we'll leave much of it by himself. But how do we deal with that?
0: I mean, it's a great question. It, it, it reminds me of the last chapter, right? The the chapter where we talked about Gavura, Because if you remember that chapter, talked about um, um, the 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 good attributes, the good aspects of the yetsar hara. Right, the the way in which if we didn't have a Yitzhara, we wouldn't do all sorts of things that are really necessary for for human survival and for human existence. Right, so we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't take well, according to we wouldn't take care of our wives if it wasn't for the yitzar Right, we wouldn't we wouldn't. Uh, but according to the Talmud, right, we wouldn't engage in business. We wouldn't have children. Right, that sort of thing. Right, so there. So the the um, the the drive for 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 self fulfillment. Um. The 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 ego drive um, can actually lead to great things, right? So it can lead a pers- a person who who um, wants to study Torah or wants to teach Torah um, because it puffs them up, right? Or it makes them feel self satisfied um, is not. I, I, I think he would say it's not inherently problematic, right? Um, but the, it can become problematic if, um, if, if, if the learning is exclusively in service of one's own ego, right? So if, if all you're doing when you're teaching is, look how smart I am, Right? Look how clever that interpretation is. Look how and the and the teaching is not in service of of self repair and self improvement and communicating to others how to be better servants of the kucha um, That I think is problematic. So when it's when it's only you know this hot air to to puff oneself up and to exalt oneself, then it uh, it, it 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 literally does that right. It it causes divinity to escape the process right, but. If one's motivation for entering into the study is to um, is you know to, to make a name for oneself, right, something like that, it doesn't have to be, I think, inherently That's problematic, right. or someone proud about it after the fact. It doesn't have to be inherently problematic, um, so long as that wasn't the end, right? Maybe a byproduct. A byproduct, I think, is okay, but goal is, is to yigdal uh, Torah v'adir, to make Torah great and to exalt God. Um,
1: I, I bet you we all had, I wonder if we all had professors at school um, who kind of reveled in making fun of students, mocking students, diminishing students, um, and uh, maybe they thought it was to increase people's knowledge, but it seemed to some of us in the class it was done really to victimize us at their expense. I don't know if that sounds familiar or not. Socratic method? Socratic method. Well, can be a Socratic can be a Socratic mensch? Or is it only, it has to be like go right to the, for the kishkes. But that's how some classes were taught. To put you on the spot
0: yeah, but there, but yes. so, <laughs> no, but, but that's a really great example because the Socratic method, right? I think it, the the intention of the of the teacher comes out. The Socratic method can actually um, yield a lot of uh, uh, of positive results. It can make a student really sharp and uh, push them to uh, to to really grow in their learning. And it, it doesn't have to be about the teacher wanting to you know celebrate how clever they are. At the expense of the student, right? It could be about the teacher actually trying to encourage a different kind of thinking in a student, and yeah. Well, of course, yeah.
1: uh, people are moved by emotions,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and one of the one of the
2: most important emotions is fear.
0: Mm-hmm. So and the so this you, you are mm-hmm. you are being motivated mm-hmm. to do better, or you get embarrassed. Yeah. Think about
2: it. Yeah. The fear of not being that's prepared is what. Right. Right. I wouldn't um, put my money on it, but that's one way to keep it. mm-hmm. yeah. you. First year law school works. That's what right. I, I think what I get is <laughs> something called deference. I'm thinking of a uh, certain congressional leader in the past, not at the moment, but I don't want to be named, who was very successful in terms of a an approach to the to the public which got a lot of people elected. Demanded deference. You had to come and see him and demonstrate your uh, your appreciation of his great mastery. And if you didn't, you didn't get all the perks that went with being a congressman. So this is known, uh, I call this exalting. Uh, yeah. In some ways, I'm very mixed about some traditions which say students have to rise and show a lot of respect to the teacher because the question is, is this necessary? Right. Is this over-exalting? So I've I, I, I got a pretty good image there. Mm-hmm. I think what he's talking about is the whole area of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And it's a hot area right now. This is it. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you see emotional intelligence mm-hmm. in this?
2: Emotional intelligence mm-hmm. is um, is being sensitive and aware of your own emotions and how they affect others. Mm-hmm. And using those emotions um, to leverage um, the best in everyone, right. including yourself. I love it. Well said. <laughs> well, so that's,
0: this um, is the converse
2: of the, pr- uh, of the prior chapter.
0: Yeah, I think so. This is um, the feminist side.
2: Hmm. Uh, good. <laughs> really like this man. Good,
0: <laughs> good, Um, I, I and oh, it, it is. I, I think, I, I think so. I mean, I think, um, I, mean, I think it's meant to be, the, the balance of masculine and feminine. If I, if you know, if I'm actually following the uh, chart yeah. of the Sefirot, because uh, the Chesed is meant to be the the feminine side, Gvuro uh, is meant to be the the masculine side. Well, you know, it's actually interesting. It's. In in Kabbalah it's often flipped that Vura is the feminine side and chesed is the masculine side. But anyway, that's a little bit neither here nor there. Yeah. Um
2: the
0: but I but I do want to say, you know, going back to to all these comments, right? Um, a teacher who uses the Socratic method, where a byproduct right, might be the embarrassment of a student, right? Um, where the outcome an unintended outcome potentially is because you, know, you you want to kind of you know you use the emotions right to uh, to, to uh, encourage a different kind of thinking you don't want it to get to the point of embarrassment but you know that 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 is part of the process of the Socratic method but a person who let's say loves the law right and is using the Socratic method to get their students to to um, to cultivate a you know a, a sense of the uh, of the power of legal reasoning and the importance of a of a certain mode of thinking um, and to get mm-hmm. them to love the the law the way he or she loves the law I think is different than a person than a teacher using the Socratic method They're the same method right but different intention and different focus and so maybe different trajectory a teacher who's using the method just so they can you know show how much smarter they are than the student. And I think that there are teachers who do it both ways. Usually they're the teachers that students either really admire and look up to or really r- resent going okay. to class with. Um, and I think that it's the same, similar to, to what Larry's saying. Right? So if the, if, the, if the teacher's purpose... Is to show how much they know versus how little the students know, or you know how how you know uh, sagacious they are as a congressman versus how little and to and to have and to have the uh, the the other people you know um, serve that bow down right. Um, I think that, that the intention really matters. I think the intention does come out in the teaching, right. But even if it doesn't, the intention really matters. What are you intending to do by engage- So the, the whole business with, with rising for a rabbi, um, I, I see the discomfort there. And I, I definitely see the discomfort if, if the, the rabbi demands that kind of behavior as a means of serving their own ego. I had a teacher in, um, in elementary school. He's still a, a, a rabbi in Atlanta. He's a Chabad rabbi in Atlanta. Who would have us um, not only stand up when another teacher came in the room, but it would have us stand up whenever an older student came in the room? And the purpose in doing that was not to not to have the, the, those people walk in the room uh, have the ego boost of it, but to remind us that um, that our elders and our teachers represented a Torah that we hadn't yet acquired, right? And we and we rise for Torah because we we um, want to rise up to Torah. Right. And so I think that that right is not about service of ego. That's about um, that's about a, a cultivation of a value in a person. Right? There's a we're physical beings. Um, my my teacher Rabbi Arson says you know to, to paraphrase Madonna. Right? We're we're physical boys living in in physical worlds or material <laughs> boys living in material worlds. Um, and uh, and so and so you know, activities like that right can help. Um, uh, crystallize values in ways that just thinking about them esoterically can't. So, um, which is which is one of the things that uh, Christianity has has been able to do very well, right? Um, embodying God in a person, right, is very helpful to people. And it's why there's you know three billion Christians in the world and only um, you know however many ten million eleven million Jews, right? We're not as good at, it, at, at for, for good reasons, right? At uh, at you know em, embodying divinity, right? But it's harder for people to latch on to the, to the ideals when they're not embodied, right? So um, so that I think is is one way of doing it. It can be abused, right? The Socratic method can be abused. He's talking here, I think, about the abuse of Torah, right? So the ego as a as a byproduct of teaching Torah isn't inherently bad, right? But but approaching Torah for the purpose of exalting oneself, right, is bad. All right, so we'll 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 stop there. He's going to go into specifically actually this issue of of how you relate to your students uh, in in this paradigm. We'll get to that next week. Have a great day.